Amen. The Lord is good, isn't he? I looked out and I saw a number of guests here today. I see you. Thank you for being here on Christmas morning. I don't think you're going to go home and regret that you've been in the house of the Lord today. And I do appreciate you being here. I mean that because what this says is that we're not buying into the culture of this world. And we are remembering the very reason why we do what we do. And that is because of Christ. Probably about three weeks ago, I was in my prayer time and the Holy Spirit spoke very clearly to me and said he was doing a work of restoration. And that work of restoration would include restoring this region, a restoration of finances, a restoration of health, and a restoration of prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. There's a couple in this church in the past two weeks, God has restored to them almost $20,000. And I'm going to tell you, I give God thanks for that. Say, man, I wish that was me. Well, just keep giving. Say, I don't get much. Then look at what you're giving. Because if you're not getting much, it means you're not giving much. Oh, I'm already preaching. Because that's who God is. For God so loved the world that he gave. And this morning, I just want to tell you, thank you for giving your time to the Lord today. To all of our guests, thank you. Now this, what I'm going to share with you this morning, it doesn't originate with me, but it resonates with me. And I want to share it with you. I want to talk to you about what the angels gave on the first Christmas. And I pray that you would, just for the next few minutes, open your heart to receive God's word. Would you just pray right now a blessing on that person that is beside you? Would you do that in the name of the Lord Jesus? Father, we're just here today and we thank you that we can be here in your presence. We thank you for your people. We thank you for this beautiful Christmas morning that we can be together to exalt you and to worship you. All of our guests, we pray a blessing upon them. We thank you that your word is blessed. And for the next few minutes, help us to come here now in our hearts and our minds and our bodies to receive from you. And we give you thanks and praise. And everybody say amen. Once again, thank you and you can be seated. When we think of Christmas, we think of gifts because gifts were given at the very first Christmas. Maybe you haven't thought about this, but Mary, the mother of Jesus, offered her womb as a gift. And rightfully so, because it was her womb that nurtured and protect the baby Jesus and brought Christ into the world. And then the wise men, they offered the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And rightfully so, because when you think about that, most likely those gifts helped to finance the trip of Mary and Joseph into Egypt so they could escape Herod's wrath. And then you think about the shepherds. The shepherds 
gave their gift of time and belief. And that gift makes sense because it was the shepherd's visitation that would keep the first family company. But I want you to notice upon the screen, the book of Luke chapter 2 and verse, I believe it is 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying. They were praising God. Now, I want you to look, ladies and gentlemen, at what the angels gave at Christmas. The angels gave their gift of worship. I'm going to say that again. The very first Christmas, the angels gave their gift of worship. Now, it seems that they could have offered something a little more useful. Mary really probably needed a more comfortable bed. Joseph could have probably used an angelic escort. And the baby Jesus probably could have used a nice bassinet. So here's my question in all sincerity. Why didn't the angels provide five-star accommodations for Mary and Joseph and for Jesus? Why didn't the angels provide something more than just strips of swaddling cloth? Why didn't they provide a beautiful garment? Why didn't the angels introduce him at halftime? Because we know the world is watching the Super Bowl at halftime. Why didn't they do something like that? Because these were the angels. And didn't they know what Jesus needed? We're not the angels with God from the very beginning of time. Hadn't the angels been with God the longest? Didn't they know God better than anyone? And if you look in the book of Job chapter, I believe it is, 38 and verse 7, there's a translation that actually translates it like this. When the stars were made, All of my angels praised me with a loud voice. Now, based off of that scripture, that seems to tell me that the angels were actually around God when he was creating the world. So it seems to me that the angels had been with God longer than anyone. So I just want you to think about this. The very angelic host that had known him the longest, knew him the best, gave him the gift of worship. Now why did they give him the gift of worship when it seems so many other things that he needed? Now, you know, in this day and hour, people look around and they say that if you're a good father, a good father doesn't ask for all the attention to be upon himself. In fact, if you're a good father, you don't take the attention for yourself. You place the attention towards your children. And there is a lot of people in the world that do not understand Why that God, as the father of all mankind, 
seems to need so much worship. Well, I want to give you something to think about, brothers and sisters. Here it is. The question is not, will we worship? But where will we direct our worship? Can I get a witness? Because to the world, it seems like that God is self-centered. And he requires his children to focus all of their attention on him. And he wants the attention and he wants the worship. When I was eight years of age, I, uh, I wanted a drum set. I wanted to play the drums. And unbeknownst to me, my grandparents bought me a set of drums. It was, I'm sorry to say this, but it was my idol's drum set. It was. His name was Gary Foss. And he was the pastor's son of Bethel Tabernacle in Houston, Texas, where my family went to church. And he played the drums in church. And as a six and seven and eight year old young boy, when I could really start remembering, I idolized Gary Foss. And unbeknownst to me, my grandparents bought his set of drums and they placed that set of drums under their Christmas tree. And when my family drove over to my grandparents' house, my Aunt Trish ran out the door, came to the car. When I got out of the car, she blindfolded me. And she literally led me into the house. She led me, and I'll never forget it as long as I live, as a seven or eight-year-old boy. She placed me where she wanted me. All of my family was around. My mother had three brothers and one sister. So it was a total of five of them. So we had a, my mother had a fairly large family and they were all there. And my aunt Trish took that blindfold off of me and I'll never forget it. When I saw those drums, I knew whose drums they were and I fainted. I fainted. That's a true story. I fainted. I just fainted, fell flat out, just cold. I have never in my life fainted before then. And I have never in my life fainted after that. But I fainted. I fell out. And uh, whatever peace they got during that fainting spell, I hope they enjoyed it. Because when I came to, there was no peace in the end. I banged on those drums all Day long. Looking back on it now, I know I was driving everybody crazy. But I didn't care because those were my idol's drums. I loved Gary Falls. I wanted to be just like him. I took his old broken drumsticks and thought they were a treasure. And I beat on those drums literally for hours. I loved those drums. Looking back on it, I worshipped those drums. And I'm going to tell you, I was counting on those drums from my idol to fulfill me. 
but it didn't. You know why? Because years later, I bought a new set of drums. And that set that I'd idolized got put under the platform in Cleveland, Texas at the church where my daddy pastored. Now, here's the question that I want to ask all of you beautiful people. Give me just a minute. What about you? What have you been counting on to fulfill you? You've been counting on that job and you thought, man, if I can get that job, I'm going to be fulfilled and I'm going to make good money. You've worked at that job now for five years or 10 years or 20 years and you realize it hadn't fulfilled you. What about that marriage? Some of you were in a bad way and you thought, man, if I can just get Mr. Right and get out of this uh, situation that I'm in and I can get out of this, then this marriage is going to fulfill me and I'm going to be happy. And yet, 15 years down the road, it hasn't. Somebody said that marriage is like a tub of hot water. Once you've been in it for a while, it's not so hot anymore. But when you've been in a bad way and you think, man, if I can just get married and get out of here, I'm going to be fulfilled. And you're 15 years into it and that hadn't fulfilled you. And then you start, if you get a little older, you start looking at retirement and you think, man, if I can just retire and get out of this job and man, if I just don't have all these responsibilities and I can go play golf when I want and hunt when I want and fish when I want, man, it's great. Yet I had the great privilege to go somewhere here recently with two elders in this church that are retired and we had a great talk. And, you know, they reminded me, you always need purpose. And retirement is not sometimes what you think it is going to be because even when you're retired, you still need purpose. But... We look at certain things. Oh, marriage is going to fulfill me and this job is going to fulfill me and retirement is going to fulfill me. And then when you're young, I can remember, man, I wanted my degree. Nobody in my family had a degree. I wanted a degree. Nobody pushed me. Something I wanted. I went and earned a a business degree. Man, I was so excited. I earned that degree. And now years later, that degree is not fulfilling me. So I'm going to ask you the question, what did you think in your life that if you could just obtain this, it was going to fulfill you? See, any time, ladies and gentlemen, that we trust an object or an activity to give us life and to give us meaning, we worship it. My brothers and sisters, when we make good things, the ultimate things, we set ourselves up for disappointment. So why worship God? We don't come in here this morning to worship God to build Him up. God is not narcissistic, ladies and gentlemen. 
He's not going to fall off the throne if you don't worship him. He has an angelic host that surround him night and day that say, Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. To worship God is something that we need, not something that God needs. Greg Bell in his book entitled, We Become What We Worship, says this, and I want it on the screen. What people revere, they resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. This simply means that we worship the world and we are conformed to it, or we worship God and we are transformed. Mr. Greg Bell goes on to say, We either revere the world and we are conformed to its sinful patterns of the world or we revere God and are progressively conformed into his image. Let me say it this way. Worship things and we are ruined. Worship God and we are restored. So I want to remind all of us On this beautiful Christmas morning. God could store the universe in his pocket. He could put the oceans in an eyedropper. Your God don't need you here this morning to raise your hands and say you're God and you're amazing. He doesn't need that. In fact, God doesn't need anything from us. He wants us to worship so that we get our identity, not from things, but from relationship and who he is. See, the world says worship things because things are the most important. Because if you get approval and you get accomplishment and you get affluence, and you, you, you get all of these things, then you're somebody. And God says, no, things will never make you valuable because things can come into your life, but they can as easily exit your life. But God is saying this, relationship is the most important because you become what you worship. And God is a jealous God, not because he's afraid you're going to leave him, but because he knows he's the best thing. And whatever you worship is what you become. He wants you to be like him because he knows there's nothing better than him in your life. So to worship God is to intentionally step away from our preoccupation with ourself. Because self wants to be God. And so when we worship, we step away from ourself. And we step away from things. And we consciously step into the throne room of God. I want him to throw another picture up and I'm going to wrap this up. I did a little, just just a, a minute of research on the throne room in the monarchy of England. And as I got to reading about it, King Charles, because Queen Elizabeth has passed, they're going to do his coronation here shortly. 
And right now, from my understanding of what I've read, they're redoing the throne room. So this is perhaps just an old picture. His new throne room won't look like that. But as I really got to marinating on this, I, I just got to thinking that King Charles, y'all know he's got two sons, one William, one Harry. But if William, for whatever reason, started having a bad day, just didn't think he was all that important, I got to thinking all he would have to do is to walk into his father's throne room. He, he wouldn't even need anybody to be in there. All he would need to do if he's having a bad day is just simply walk into the throne room. Look around. And it reminds him, my father is the king. My father is the king. What, what are you saying? I, I, I'm just saying that I don't think that worship is about God at all. I, I think that worship is about God reminding you of who you are. So that when you're having a bad day and nobody's around you, but you start praising him a little. And you, you realize, oh, I think I'm entering into the throne room. Then God reminds you of who you are. I want to remind you on your worst day that I am God and I am your heavenly father. And I've got you in the palm of my hand. Because I believe that worship is reminding you that you are a son and a daughter of the most high. And when you start remembering who you are, then guess what? Your feelings of being insignificant start to shatter. When we worship God, it reminds us that I'm not just some, you know, redneck from Podunkville. I am a child of the Most High God. I got to hurry because I'm not going to keep you long. But first Peter two and verse nine, I'm going to paraphrase it. It says it like this. We have been chosen. We are a royal priesthood. We in this room are a holy nation. We are his own possession. We, us, have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We who were not a people have become a people. We who had no mercy, he showed us mercy. And when you start worshiping God, you enter into a throne room and it reminds you of who you are. I'm wrapping this up. See, that's why worship is the antidote to worry. I'm going to say that again to all you who worry. I've been right there, but I'm doing better. See, worship is the antidote to worry. Why? Because when you start worshiping, it reminds you of who your heavenly father is. 
and I stop thinking that I'm an orphan and I realize that if he can call light where there was no light, if he can call the stars and call them all by their names, if he can create where there was nothing, you got to understand something. God didn't take something and make the world out of it. He took nothing. See, we say we create something and I understand what we're saying. But creating something means you take nothing to create something. We make things, but God didn't make an earth. He created an earth. He created it with nothing. Why? But the word of his power. Hebrews tells us, know ye not that the worlds were framed. How? By the word of God. That God that you and I serve is your heavenly father. And when you begin to worry, you begin to feel like an orphan because you forget who your heavenly father is. So worship is to not stroke a narcissistic ego. Worship is to remind you that I brought you out of darkness into my marvelous light. And I have placed my blessings upon you. Would you stand with me? See, worry causes us to look down. But worship causes us to look up. I don't know if you've already opened your gifts or if you're waiting till after this service to go home and open your gifts. But I'm going to tell you where I've slowly, slowly, and I'm not there yet, but slowly am I graduating from my identity being in things. So it really, to be honest with you, It really doesn't matter what I go home to open. Because that's just an added blessing. Because my identity is not in whatever. Janet and Molly already know what they're going to get because they buy it and give it to me to wrap it to give it to them. So they already know. I'm the only one that don't know. So they already know all their gifts. But I'm going to tell you, whatever new they get, they probably won't even be wearing it this time next year because it will already be old. Well, I take that back. I'm, believe it or not, I'm still wearing some jackets that I've had for 30 years. <laughs> Jan and I both are, but that's by choice. Because I don't want to put my identity in what I wear, what I drive, affluence, accomplishment, approval. I don't want to put my identity in that. I'm going to put my identity in Christ. Because here's what I know. Things come, but things go. But Jesus comes and He stays. And He said, I'll be a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And I'll be the friend that will walk you through the valley of sorrow. I'll be there for you. And so anytime, ladies and gentlemen, that you start to forget who you are, just simply worship. And He'll remind you that I am your Heavenly Father. I have led you this far and I've never dropped you. And I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So I'm going to ask everybody in this audience, if you're a believer, if the angels who have been with Him longer than anyone gave Him the gift of worship 
and thought that was enough. Why don't you, if you're a believer, raise your hands and begin to worship the Lord and let us adore Him and let us get our mind off of our worry. y'all say you're sorry because they didn't think I could preach 25 minutes but I did it y'all say you're sorry yeah thank you I love you I love all of you aren't you proud of our team give them a big hand y'all did a great job today I want to just start calling names. I could start calling names. I could call your names if the Lord would help me. I need a lot of help, but I, I could call them. Thank you for being here today. Your identity is not. I'm going to keep pounding this till you get it from your head. Because listen, this is the longest 18 inches ever known to man. They say it's 18 inches from your head to your heart. And it takes a long time to get things from your head to your heart. And that's why you need to stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. And start reminding yourself, you know what? Whether I get what I want for Christmas or don't, my identity is not in that anyway. My identity is in the Lord is my King and my righteousness and my Savior and my God. 
And I am who I am because of him. Can I get a witness? Do you receive the word of the Lord today? If you do, put your hands together. Man, it's been a great morning. It's been quick. It's good to see you all. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you for being here on Christmas morning. We love each and every one of you. I want to tell you this. I got one minute. I want you to hear me. I got one minute. You're welcome here. I'm going to tell you right now, you're welcome here. This is a no judgment zone. It's a no judgment zone. Why? Because God's going to judge us all in that day. That doesn't mean we just do whatever because the closer you get to God, the less you want to hurt him. And the more you want to live like him. But I'm here to tell you, you're welcome in this house. We're going to wrap you up. We're going to love you so many ways. You're bound to like one of them. Thank you for being here. Merry Christmas. Kaylee and the team's going to sing you out. Merry Christmas. I love you. Have a great day with your family. Oh,